Today we're joined by Rusty Miller and his partner, Trisha Shantz. Rusty has lived a surfing and political life of such scope, such profound influence and such immeasurable magnitude that it would almost be impossible to believe. That is, if he wasn't living just around the corner from us and still running surf lessons for anyone willing to fork out the very reasonable price. Book a lesson with Rusty by calling 0422-099-684. Link in the show notes. The mere fact you can go and get a tutorial from a guy who grew up with Mickey Dora, surfed maxed out Waimea Bay with Tiger Esperance, was front and center for the shortboard revolution, won a national US surfing championship, and so much more speaks volumes for what this bloke is about. The purest essence of Core Lord. What an unimaginable treat this was. His partner, Trisha, meanwhile, is one of the great surf researchers on the planet, a world-class journalist, historian, and writer who's been a part of countless core publications over the years, including Rusty's must-read Annual Byron Guide and Trisha's latest book, Neverland, which we reference many times in this podcast. It's an incredible book chronicling the untold history of Byron Bay back when it was a blue-collar meat processing and dairy town. George Greeno, Bob McTavish, David Elthick, Rusty, they've all contributed words to it, along with a host of equally impactful but lesser-known underground figures who were a part of that first wave of Australian and American surfers who kick-started what is today one of the most popular surf and tourist towns on the planet. The book is down to its final 200 copies, though Trisha told us she will do another print run if enough orders come through. Find the book at rustymillersurf.com or over on Instagram at NeverlandTheBook. Both links are in the show notes. Vaughn joined me for this episode of Call Lords, and I can tell you we were properly levitating on our way out. We treasured every moment of this chat and could have sat there indefinitely listening to Trisha and Rusty fill in the detail of surfing's colourful past. What a trip. Ain't That Swell presents Chords. Sweet. Well, why don't we start uh, at the end and work backwards? <laughs> That's a good idea. Rusty, uh, tell us about your 80th, mate. Huh? 80th birthday party. Of course, we've got Rusty Miller and Trisha Shantz here, two of the icons. <laughs> Of the Northern Rivers and... Uh, I yeah. can hear you. <laughs> Did I, I, have, I have my hearing aids in. Oh, good. Got them. Yeah, so you, you had a, a big birthday do over there in, in the States? Yeah, there was actually a bit of a duet. We had one here and one there. So and, and on the way back, it was actually on the 26th. And my birthday's the 27th and actually uh, left on the 26th and left on and came back on the 28th. So we actually were the, in, in the air, I was, uh, I turned 80. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, we had uh, uh, two weeks in my hometown in Encinitas, California, where I grew up. So I was born in Calif- uh, California, of course, La Jolla, and grew up in uh, Encinitas, California. Magic, man. And so uh, who turned out for the big do? Yeah, um... It was quite interesting because it was a celebration of uh, Garth Murphy, who is my partner. So Garth Murphy uh, and myself and a guy named Mike Doyle, as 
well-known surfer. Um, <clears throat> we had a partnership, and we made a surfboard wax. And we both, and also Doyle and I rode for Hanson Surfboards. Hanson Surfboards was sort of the second largest uh, producer of surfboards at one part in America in the 60s until the, uh, until the revolution. So I used to work, we worked for them. And then also we had a small uh, business that made different, um, we were the first sort of accessory company. We had different uh, board racks and trunks and T-shirts and uh, locking devices and stuff like that. But what really sell well was our wax. We were like the original uh, makers of, of surfboard wax. And then yeah, when, I, when we sold the business, uh, the guy who bought it from was named John Dahl, John Baker. He's a good friend of my my dad's. Uh, his I'm dad going to jump in dad. here as I do. Am I on? And, and surf research was what it was called. And the night of the party, it was like a surf research reunion because everyone this had never happened before. So everyone who was involved in surf research was there. So it was if they were alive. So Garth is had a bad stroke. So that was why we went as well. Um, and he's bed, and, bedridden. And he's bedridden. Yeah. But John, who was there, who bought the business, Mike Doyle's wife was there because Doyle's passed away. Um, Fred Ryan ended up getting involved and he's passed away, so his wife came. Team riders were Mike Hinson. People know Mike Hinson from Endless Summer, so LJ he came. was there. Um, Joey Cabell was a team rider. Skip Fry was supposed to come, but he didn't. Um, and so all those guys came. Cyrus Sutton came. Um Classic. Yeah, what's the other guy? Ryan Birch came. So you had just this, the, the old and the new. Melting so it was, pot, yeah. So it was all the friends of Rusty's and he'd seen Phil Edwards the day before, who's his surf guru. <laughs> Who is my surf guru. Uh, and and yeah. Hanson. Hanson is 86 at Hanson Surfboard. So yeah. he actually invested, he didn't remember how much and it wasn't um, much, but for the surf research. So surf research, which we still publish our books under that same name, way ahead of its time, it was academic in the sense that it was, Doyle designed it, it's a beaker with David Nueva doing his soul arch in the beaker, so it was about experimentation, mm. remember your science lab classes where you had the little beakers, mm. um, and it, you know, you boiled things over, <laughs> Bunsen burners, yeah. burnt things, and that's what the, the the little logo is, which is still so. John and Doyle was such an inventor. I mean, yeah. he was such he was the inventor. Actually, I was the salesman. Garth was the sort of the business person that organized things and did very well. He's, he was brilliant, and I was a salesman. So I'd go out to the East Coast every year uh, for for Hanson surfboards to sell longboards. And what and, kind of a hustle was it back in those days? Like, talk to us about the beginnings of, of surf culture as you knew it in those days and well it wasn't uh, yeah there wasn't a um, it's interesting it wasn't a very defined uh, career curve <laughs> yeah I can imagine <laughs> we sort of had did our own, hard own career curve and so yeah so I got a high school to university and then I went on a university uh, two university uh, programs on a ship around the world and so, um, uh, but Hanson was, and Hanson helped me sponsor that too, right? And that was pretty good because I got to go uh, different places surfing also. But uh, yeah, so it was, and then I was, when I was in New York, I was in New York and I bumped into these guys that were called the Softness Brothers and 52nd Day, and they got me a contract, an actual contract to uh, promote a product, you know, uh, a, a one year contract. It was called Rit Die, right? And it was, uh, yeah, and so they uh, had this uh, thing. And so every, 
every uh, <clears throat> uh, month or so. Well, about a month of a whole year, I got good amount, a pretty good amount in those days for every every year. But I only worked about a month of the whole year. And I'd fly back to, uh, you know, Birmingham, Alabama or Fort Lauderdale or Buffalo, New York, New York, and stay at a Hilton and then go down to a shopping center uh, uh, program showing these little dying how to die on jeans, you know, do your own thing. It never really, it never really worked, but, you know, <laughs> but they paid. But it was an amazing, it was an amazing job, you know. But you, when you sold the boards for Hanson, like you'd drive from California across the bottom of the U.S. to Florida and all the way up to the top of yeah. – um, oh, hang on. Um, what and, was the top state that you used Ogunquit, to go to? Algonquin, Maine, and then back oh. down again and get all yeah. those orders. So we did a trip it's once. It's a triangle of the United States. It's the U-shape. Uh, well, from it was California basically going to the East the Coast, yeah. We also had a, we had yeah. a dealership in um, – Houston, uh, which is uh, sells a lot of huge, huge organi- uh, company, surf company, and because they people surf in uh, Galveston, right? So I went to there, and then I went to over to Cocoa, and then all the way up and up, all the way up to uh, Gonquet, Maine, which is a shorter season, obviously, and all the way back. And that's a, one of our dealerships were uh, were Ron Surfboards, uh, Ron John Surfboards. He was, the, remember, he was the marketing of marketers. Remember when we, we went back to the States um, one trip and we wanted to emulate his East Coast, you know, but not with much thought. We should have done it. So we did go to Algonquit, Maine, and Surfer Crow had been the guy that owned the surf shop. So we walk into the only surf shop in town called Liquid Dreams and say to the guy, oh, look, you know, Rusty was here in like 1965 and this was 2011 or something, and, and, and said, oh, there was a guy called Surfer Crow. And he goes, yeah, yeah, he's still around. He's not on the phone. He's not on the internet. We'll send someone out to get him. You know, he still lives there. So, so, so he went to get Surfer Crow and Surfer Crow came and you guys Steve, had a surf yeah. and he was still – we're meant to write about this. because He was a school teacher but obviously had a short season in Maine. So but he was still around. surfboards and, in the summer. Yeah, I mean the 60s. That was 63, 64 kind of thing going back to that 65 East Coast. 65 through 68. Where through, it wasn't yeah. as evolved as California mm. was. In but it was really exciting because, uh, of course, you go in town and – and I'd stay with the uh, the dealership, you know, like I'd stay with somebody who, like uh, in Long Island, I'd stay with uh, uh, Harry Goldstein in Hampstead, New York, which he didn't, he's just a sporting good store, right? And so, so and then I'd go surfing at Jones Beach and do a little demo or something like that. But yeah, it was quite, quite interesting and interested a lot of uh, people. And who's making up the surf scene at this point? I mean, I guess to date it, we're talking about the, the mid-50s, 60s, um, I mean, are we talking like, is it ex-military guys? Like who, you know, what are the kind of characters that are making up the surf scene in, in Encinitas and Well, the and guys elsewhere? that started when I, I started in 1953-ish, right? I was 10 years old, right? I, uh, I lived, uh, lived a little, little bit inland and my, my, uh, my mother passed away my, when she was really young and, I, and, so all, and there was four of us and we all moved down to the coast of my mother's best friend and right on the cliff. And my father was a uh, uh, aeronautical engineer, uh, but he was a waterman. He went to skin dive and stuff like that. So he knew, he knew we knew about the water really well. And so then I started surfing, you know, like um, basically every day after I was ten years old, you know. And uh, <clears throat> that's sort of when I uh, career. And then I started competition. Started about I guess I started doing competition about early '60s, just when the uh, Huntington was starting to happen in the. And they, you know, we thought the um, Beach Boys were real corny because they didn't surf. <laughs> now, of course, they're fantastic. 
Yeah. But uh, yeah, that was it. That was it. That so was the surf culture, party. even oh, when yeah. you were when you were young and just getting into it, it was a full thriving happening thing already. It like. was, uh, yeah, it was exciting, and, and, and particularly so when when Hawaiians went to California from Hawaii, we just we they were just like gods to us, right? You know, we just mm. treated them so so special. Who, who came in? We, That's that was one thing I wanted to ask you for, about those uh, early Hawaiians. Was it anyone in particular, or uh, was it just Kimo, the aura of these uh, yeah, guys? Yeah, Kimo Hollinger. Oh, uh, yeah. um, Donald Takiyama. Yeah. Don, Donald was actually younger. Yeah, Donald was my my age actually, mm. and uh, he started shaping when he was twelve years old. By the way, and Dale Velzey. Dale Velzey was my first sponsored surfboard, right? Then I went through Jacobs, and then I went through, and then I went into Hanson's. But uh, yeah, and um, yeah. So um, uh, Butch Van Arsdale was well. He was in the Wind and Sea Surf Club too. But uh, yeah, Rabbit Cake High and Joey wow. Cabell. Joey was Joey's a little bit older than me, and Joey became. Yeah. Uh, really good friend, older friend. He's like, uh, he's, he, I mean, he's about 80, 86 now, right? I'm 85. And, uh, yeah, so, uh, and then, uh, Buffalo, uh, Kahalana. Wow. And, uh, yep. you know, and, uh, the Duke, well, I mean, the Duke was alive when I was there and I was one of the first. Then the Duke actually was, who was very, um, Duke didn't have a lot of, uh, per, uh, Sort of, uh, he wasn't. He wasn't very a uh, real wealthy uh, because he was amateur. He couldn't do and make his money in sort of sports, mm. right? But people would sponsor him, right? And so this beautiful guy named uh, Kimo McVeigh sponsored him, made a Hawaiian um, uh, restaurant, and started the uh, promotion for the Duke Automobile Competition, which is the first twenty-four um, uh, people to hired to go surf every year so i was in the first four of those right and uh yeah so so i got actually got to know to you know um sit next to him i actually i broke my leg <laughs> and then i was really upset and won the second competition so i was sitting down and then i was sitting with the duke i've got a picture of myself and duke mm-hmm. sitting sitting on the uh sitting with the duke so yeah it was really nice to be able to vent the and also, yeah, going earlier than that, when in the fifties and stuff like that, the guys at uh, lifeguards at the beach in California, right? They were sort of like um, they were the sort of early rebels, you know. They were sort of uh, uh, a lot of them were uh, ex Navy guys, you know, and some of them were sea, uh, like seals, uh, uh, underwater demolition team, and then some of them were sort of like um, beatnik kind of guys, right? They were into uh, jazz and you know. Uh, uh, red wine and uh, sourdough bread. Man, that is uh, a re- a re- coming, re- coming. <laughs> sourdough <laughs> bread. Sourdough bread. Hanging out. Only surfing could bring those two. No, groups s- here. <laughs> sour bread. Sourdough bread. <laughs> sourdough bread has come back, and I just keep on saying, "Do you have anything that's not sourdough?" <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's unbelievable. And, and no, was that your introduction to sort of, I guess, uh, you know, beatniks and avant-garde. Philosophy. Yeah, well, they were they were uh, opposed the conservatism of America in that era, which was Eisenhower, right? Yeah. Who was like, uh, you know, he's a, he's a, he was a nice guy, but he former general, obviously, got a, a president, and uh, he played golf. <laughs> but uh, yeah, but he was. Um, uh, we were every, everybody was sort of like I think tracking in. Oh, by the way, with shopping centers, new shopping centers were really exciting. 
You know, I mean, it was mm. a huge building. But it was. It was a, it was a neat era. Mm. And now it's sort of like, you know, the, another beaten path. You know, like, oh, God, you know, everything. Shopping center. Yeah. Those guys on the beach really introduced you, like, to jazz. And they yeah. looked after each yeah. other. Like, you, you did have fires on the beach. And that and sort of like open. didn't worry about you. Yeah, open-ended, like, deep thinking. and That's, that's been a, con- a constant in both your lives, like, to analyse and to not. Yeah, and to question and to yeah. be curious yeah, yeah, and yeah. to. Uh, well, that's not what just accept so the status lucky. quo or, or accept you know whatever that, you've been told. Like but at young yeah. ages, yeah. like I'm still, I mean, when I think of like Wayne Lynch and he came up here because when he told me the story for Neverland and he was something like 10 and I'm going, yeah. excuse me, your mother let you come with two older guys in a car? <laughs> and he said, well, actually they they borrowed my parents' car because it was more reliable than theirs. And I'm thinking, what mother lets her 10-year-old son go from yeah, Victoria? But, see, more but your mum let you go. Yeah, but they were sa- people were more safe. Like, you know, the lifeguards, yeah. that, lifeguards that took me up and down the coast like when I was, you know, 11, 12 and 13, right? And they'd come, I mean, they'd meet my parents, of course, you know, but they'd go, I'd, you know, go up to San Clemente, we'd go down to Del Mar, go down to Windensea, because I'd, I'd born in California, I sort of reconnected to La Jolla guys, you know, La and all those people were very, um, how do you say, progressive, mm. uh, far, far thinking, and they also played their own music. It wasn't just a surfer, they were like skin divers, they got abalone, there used to be abalone and lobster and... Uh, you know, you make fire on the beach and stuff like that. So they body surfed. They all had fins. Um, yeah. So it was it was a waterman thing. Yeah, it was about the whole deal. You couldn't the whole be deal. Some yeah, not a nerd. short border, long border. <laughs> you had to be able to do other shit too, mate. I tell you what really interests me about this time in history is that Southern California at this time, uh, you, you've got ex-military veterans. You've got uh, the storm clouds of war in Korea and Vietnam. Um, you know, looming. You've got uh, this civil rights movement. You've got LSD, uh, you know, the Brotherhood of Eternal Love. Uh, Those are different time zones, but yes. <laughs> yeah, slightly. I'm, I'm kind of mashing a few uh, yeah, yeah. generations together. How long have you got, together. actually? I'm just thinking yeah. this could be a long but then, interview. And then you've got the, you know, the San Francisco, Hyatt Ashbury, like this kind of yeah. uh, this melting pot of counterculture and, and surfing, uh, and you're in the thick of it. And, um, you know, what was that like? Like it, it, that movement shaped the world. It, it, it completely well, it shaped yeah. the Beatles. It, it shaped this culture. That it continues to reverberate like mm. a ripple through the generations. And you were – Rusty was pretty lucky because he was in the epicenter of it and you did – wasn't it Ginsburg that um, – Invited you and Joey. Yeah, Ellen Ginsberg. Yeah, there was and that other, Esalon was, Institute, called, which was Gestalt to, Therapy. Yeah. You've heard of that before? What's it called? Uh, it's called Gestalt Therapy. Basically, it's a German uh, system, uh, very famous in, uh, in Big Tour. And, and, but it was one of the you know, uh, beginning of business people going to, uh, you know, to Self-help bond. Self-help stuff. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Going to, you know, like. Mind doing, stuff. Mind stuff, stuff like mm. that. And then there was a guy named Ellen Ginsberg who was like a. Um, um, uh, Alan Watts. These guys were like the thinkers of the. Yeah. Of the oh yeah. Of the era. Very familiar with them. Yeah. 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 And Alan Watts came and came and um, it's interesting. A great. Uh, and Institute was in Big Sur, but there's one place in near Rancho Santa Fe, just inland from where I lived, where I went to um, the where my school thing was, and it was called um, uh, Chaos. We call it Chaos. <laughs> it's called Kairos, but we call it Chaos. Anyhow, <laughs> so Joey Cabell, Mike Doyle, myself came and. And showed him these slides of these sort of these guys who were our idols of thinkers, Alan Watson, these really high level sort of mm-hmm. thinking uh, uh, psychologists and progressives, individual activists of that era. 
And we were showing them these slides of a surfing, and they were going, wow, you guys, that's the way, that's the way energy travels through the body, like the spiral, like a wave, you know. I mean, oh, they yeah, asked really? you <laughs> oh, You must have feased it. them. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Not too yeah. many people would have melted their minds. I got it. <laughs> Not without some sort they of lysergic They invited help. you because they saw that surfing had something to offer to yes. people's minds. Yep. So they were very We were the idols and, they're, they're, and we, yeah. they idled us. It's almost like... It's almost like, uh, well, not idols, but you know, it's like 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 um, Peter Singer and myself. He was a he was a writer. He's a philosopher. He's like a ethicist. Ethicist. Yeah, he's a philosopher. He's like yeah. a Princeton University. Anyhow, so he came up. I met him with a at a writers' festival. Where we sponsor minor sponsors of the uh, of the writers' festival. Anyhow, so he's a bodyboarder, right? So True. Him, so, so took him the bodyboarder. He's a surfer I, now because of Rusty. I, <laughs> turn, I turn him into a longboarder now. Yeah. He just he thinks sounds really cool, you know. And I think, uh, oh, Lord, this guy's like this is Socrates, and he he thinks I'm the you know I'm the <laughs> guru, <laughs> guru for surfdom. That's so good. Yeah. So it's a lovely. Uh, so of all of my life, I've been very fortunate to have. Uh, yeah, the, the um, I'm glad I actually mm. uh, was relatively uh, uh, successful, expense in, in competition, stuff like that. It mm. wasn't actually that I that I did become the United States Surfing Champion because people were saying, "Oh, he's a world champion." No, 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 no. Was I was a United States Surfing Champion, not a world champion? <laughs> Sorry, there's a difference. You've exaggerated. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's interesting, man, because uh, you know, it's from this era that the Timothy Leary quote comes yes. out you know yeah, surfers yeah. are the throwaheads and he of hung around with surfers exactly and, yeah. and and what you guys were doing was you were living out their philosophies in real life in the simplest yeah, yeah, essence yeah. by connecting with energy and, and writing it and exactly. it, it locks you into a present moment free of thought and you're connecting mm. with this quantum energy that exists eternally in the universe yeah uh, through storms and ocean and, and stuff. timothy and, and, and timothy you. leary did say to um, I think to Mike Hinson, right? He said, uh, "Well, actually, you know, surfers are the tip of the tip of the spaceships." We I think we put a quote in the front of our Hawaii book yeah, from yeah, yeah, Timothy yeah. Leary, actually, yeah. and it was around that. But the other thing that really shaped your life, and oh, there's so much to write about, when you mentioned very briefly that Don Hansen funded your university, Rusty went around the world in '64, '65, '66 twice on a university ship the first year it left los angeles sorry new york new york and went around the world that way and the next year it left la and went around the world that way so he got to surf in alexandria and haifa the first to surf in apparently portugal sri lanka actually before the war before the wars in the middle east you went everywhere you went to malaysia but the university was called the university of the seven seas Mm. we still have the original brochure and And every person in that form. It's called World Campus Afloat Yes, but these the days. brochure is... So Rachel Carson had just written Silent Spring in 62, and so in 60... You're on the second voyage ever of this university, yeah. and its its aims were to... It was about mankind. I mean, it wasn't womankind, it was mankind. And it was to learn about the environment spirituality, philosophy, and you just, I'll show you the brochure at some stage. It's just extraordinary that if everyone could get that education, and so you went around the world, and, and when you got off the boat. To, like mother get my mother gave me that book. So, yeah, Rachel, so, yeah. yeah so but that university, you get off the ship, and the university professors come to meet you, so when you're in 
Spain, Franco still in power wow. and it's a dictatorship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So was Salazar in Portugal and yeah. you, you went to every country, India, like places, and, and you learned about the culture when you got there and you're studying on the ship. It was just the most – it totally formed you. And there's a funny story that Garth and Doyle – Garth wrote. Yeah, about came when they back, came back was, and he was so worldly. I was so worldwide. And they were just, <laughs> and, they were just sort of laughing and they had this You provincial pink. idiots. Yeah, no, worldly. No, no, I've done no, no. the Seven Seas yeah. program. Yeah, yeah. That and reminds the, me of when I got home from Guatemala and I started wearing gave, flared like yeah. cotton pants and a bandana just walking around. <laughs> it's like Avalon. Time. <laughs> well, well, they picked him up in the pink Mustang, I think it was, uh, and they knew how anti-gun he was and they were – Bronze Mustang, Mustang. and they were shooting guns out the back. And it, Garth wrote the funniest story in Surfer's Journal oh about it. I'd gosh, never heard of it, and they went, "What?" And they just said they were just trying to bring him down from his high horse of being around the world for like did, all that time. Did you time. like identify at that time as a surfer traveling? Like, was that part of your who you were your to board? be yeah, turning yeah, up to these places and board. being going, "I'm yeah, going to go surf"? Yeah, and I wanna... actually, Hanson made me. Hanson made me a, uh, a surfboard which had a. Um, which was uh, was in two pieces, right? And yeah. It, but and I said I could keep it in the hold. Like one one thing ni- nice about a, a ship, and it wasn't a giant ship; it was a medium sized mm. ship, sort of. And uh, <clears throat> it's about uh, I say there are about 150 students, about 350 people in the in the in the boat with their staff and everything like that. And uh, yeah, so um, I wasn't sort of um, uh, you know it wasn't for a surf at a surfing trip, you know. But people had known that because I had just been been the US champ. Yeah, I just was there. Yeah. Uh, That's what I was wondering because like you know if you travel. And you surf, you you always just as soon as you pull up to a country, it's sort of like on the first the first thing on your mind is where are the waves going to be like. But this yeah, was yeah, sixty four, yeah. and no, so no, that's what I was wondering. Like, is yeah. that sort of like in your mind that so, you're going to go find waves, or are you actually just you doing that? The universe is my like when you got to Lisbon, and when we went to Portugal in twenty sixteen. We tried to find – it was Joao – you know, the big wave rider Joao de Macedo has become a friend of ours. Mm. And we were trying to find where you surfed. Of course, it's completely – Near Estoril. Near Estoril, but it's just so built up from 50, 60 years. And to see where – because you got off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, because we've got the aerograms. So you guys probably don't even know what an aerogram is. In old days, they were this little blue paper – Real light Piece of paper and you wrote – your letters back home and you, they folded up into themselves and you bought them as an aerogram and they were pre-stamped. Ah. So we've got his aerograms, not his, sent them home to his mum, his stepmum, but we've got the Portugal one, we've got the Sri Lanka one, oh. we've got Malaysia, I can't remember. So it's, it's like ye yeah. old Snapchat. It's a it's writing. You actually well, I don't know. <laughs> I used to actually write. No, yeah. no, it's not. It's it's I, it's really yeah. funny. Aerograms were the way you communicated. Yeah. I don't know when they finished. Yeah. But they're really paper thin, mm. and we should be looking after them a bit better. They're all scanned. But mm. so that was how we knew that who took you out when you went to Sri Lanka and oh, where cool. you went. Cool. There's actually a written it's a written log thing. of all that stuff. Mm. Yeah. And what yeah. about like I mean I've just got to ask because I'm just you know I'm thinking about traveling the world <laughs> in. 60, 65, 66, and just go into these places. Like, did you look like an alien when you walked down through some of these towns with a, a surfboard yeah. under your arm? And yeah, yeah, very much. But the yeah, and also uh, you know a lot a lot of times you go you go uh, to a place and uh, see where the ocean was and it was really crappy. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't like you know the movie where you walk over the bluff and it's an endless summer. You know, no, that was a perfect no. wave. Eh? 
walking in the bath and it's an endless skunking. <laughs> <laughs> what about Australia? Because you stopped in in Australia on one of these trips, right? Yeah, we it's, first went in. Uh, actually, um, yeah, the first, the second trip, uh, <clears throat> I went to um, uh, uh, to Hawaii, Hawaii, and then New Zealand, Wellington, mm. and then we went to Fremantle, and then we came into um, to Sydney, uh, and that was. Um, the year 66, that was the year that the early 66, so uh, beginning of the uh, decimal currency. Mm. So, uh, you know, basically. And uh, you would have had surfing mates, though, in Sydney by then. Well, we had, a, I was in the uh, Win and Sea Surf Club, and we had a sister sister um, club in Sydney. Yeah, that's Robert right. Robert Keneally. Yeah, Max. Oh, yeah. yeah, Max Bowman. That's right. Dave Sweet. So, and Paul you, so you get off the boat. Paul Witzig. John Witzig, yeah. Well, those that's they, amazing. So, Paul, yeah, so they were they were there when they when they came, right? And yeah. Paul was, um, yeah, there and and and, uh, and they had a welcome to Australia sign for that's them. all time no. because and, I was going to say, and, and I got that, that, yeah. actually that was the, my second voyage. Yeah. So it was it was a Holland American Line uh, company still exists, uh, and then but it was it was a um, uh, it was a German crew out of Bremen, mm. and so. Um, uh, and by that time, um, I'd sort of known that was a second voyage, so I knew the Germans pretty well. So I got out of my studies for that for that for that week. You stop and you go around your uh, studies. Yeah. With, with so the is this sixty six, Rusty? Is that what you're saying? Pardon? Is sixty six your second voyage? Nineteen sixty six. Yeah, yeah. Sixty six. So yeah, I, I'm just sort of like 66. doing the maths in my head. That's like. Surfing world's already been established for sort of eight years. I think Witzig might have even had Surf International or something by then. Oh, and was then, it that old? Wow. Yeah, so like it's trippy. You're coming to a place as the sort of US champion. Was there, you know, aside from the sign, was everyone frothing to show you around and take up? Yeah, up but and see, down the I coast, knew. But obviously what did you Australia, make of Australian surfing kn- at that time? Well, I knew, I knew a lot of Australians because, of course, yeah. every year – in the sixties, I went to Hawaii. Hawaii, yeah. I went in the, in the, to to earn you know earn your reputation for uh, wave riders, and um, yeah. So when I went to uh, uh, when I went to Australia, of course, I knew a lot of Australian Nipper mm. Williams and you know Bennett and all the boys. You know? Far out, man. But Paul so what, what took was you. It, what were Paul, they like? What was the, What was your take on Australian when, surfers at that time, having known them in Hawaii and then come to see them in Australia? Were they Cool. Were they in the same oh, bunch of Californians? Were they swimming ramen? Yeah. Surfers are Maniacs. very. <laughs> surfers they give you, especially Australians, they really tease the heck out of you, right? So, but you could, but I learn, but you know, but be ruthless on Americans on this program. To be honest, yeah. like they, if they like you, they'll tease you. If yeah. they don't, if they don't say anything, you better. You better watch out, you know. But no, no, we were in the we were in the surf club, Windensee Surf Club, yeah, which right. was so like, just was the in. best. It was the most original, best surf club, you know. And we had our in our MC. Some of those guys, they actually they had been to Hawaii, of course, and they'd been to California, mm. right? So I sort of it was pretty pretty um, yeah. pretty easy. And could you see at that stage, uh, sort of sixty six? I'm just trying to place where I'm in history, but there's a big Australian push that starts to happen not long after that. Uh, with Nat obviously coming through, and yeah, Nat. Well, they're sixty six, obviously. Yeah, uh, Nat. Yeah, God, I don't know how. I I think about all those years. What happened? So anyway, I was in the I was in the world surfing. Come on, it's a long time ago. I know. Well, <laughs> no, no, no. The only reason why I'm asking is because like, a not, lot of the time yeah. we have our version of history. So it's yeah, really yeah. interesting to get your version where, like, because we like the big push for that. Obviously, aside from the revolution that. Everyone's always sort of arm wrestling yeah, yeah, over. Yeah, yeah. It's just the attitude towards surfing in general, like this sort of rip and shred mentality starts coming into it and being a bit more powerful. And yeah. 
That's yeah, I was, I was, captain, I was captain of the United States surfing team in the World Contest 1966, right? Mm. But in those days, you know, when you say captain of the world, you know, we all got together and trained. No, it was just like, you know, <laughs> <laughs> we all knew, but we just... Ain't no HPCs. Do a bunch of surfing and, and go there. But yeah. you know, Nat, Nat obviously was very organized, and Nat was young, a little younger than... And there was a thing between him mm. and Midget. Midget's a little older, right? That's right. And Nat was coming, coming out like a, you know, coming strong. And, of course, won because he did such a darn good job. Right, mm. and he wasn't on a shortboard; he was on a nine-two or something like that. Right, yeah. but he just had this amazing sort of style. So yeah, I ended up years, a couple of years ago, I looked at a looked at a chart, and I actually, I actually come it came in ninth, you know, <laughs> but yeah. but uh, it was like. Um, yeah, and David Nueva was gonna be gonna be the one because he could just stand on the nose. He was like sort of like Joel, you know, he could just mm. stand on the nose, just amazing. But anyhow, it all it all sort of changed around. And then after Nat won that, that was like uh, you know that was like the Australia's really really busted through. Yeah, you know? but it's a lovely combination actually of of um, design, you know, Australian and American design. That's right. Yeah, and, which and, happened and here using, in using Byron here yeah. and yeah. in Hawaii. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, California. it wasn't one. So those three places of progressive and serving were California, which was the, a lot of the high tech, the equipment and the uh, materials and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Hawaii, which is the tradition and the style and the spiritual spelling. And Australia was just this raw energy that was hungry surfers, you know. But there was a lot. That was it. That was it. But there was a lot already. He was a son of a gun sometimes. But gosh darn, he's such a well. He just lived up the road here. So, like when you read Neverland, it was really early days. When you say about that, the surfers were travelers. So already, like George came in '65, and and there were surfers coming. Cooper came in '59. So. Just up the road, as the crowd flies, if we go through a backyard, here's Old Bangalore Road, and Nat had the first house, and then Garth did, and then Bill Langler, yeah, only and Russell Hughes. 200 mm. metres from where we are. All yeah. those names that you're mentioning are people who clearly had no interest in locking into the systems that were in place back in the States or wherever they were from. Um, you know, you're getting into the late 60s or into the early 70s. There's a, there there yeah. is just, as Smithy was saying... <laughs> The world's going topsy-turvy, especially on the back of, you know, war well, being beamed into houses yeah, yeah. and all that sort of thing. What was your, like, I guess, uh, mechanism that brought you to Byron Bay in particular? Well, we um, we had this business uh, and then the sort of, the, uh, you know, surfing changed, obviously, 67, 68, 69, right, changing and being in and out back in Hawaii, back and forth in California. And then Doyle, Garth, and I realized that um, actually it was getting a bit busy in California. <laughs> and um, so uh, Doyle, uh, so we sold the business uh, to John uh, Dahl, John Mega, mm. who does uh, Sticky Bumps now, who made it actually really happen big, you know. And it was like, well, ours, ours was going well, but he really made it happen after that. Anyhow, so, uh, so Doyle went to uh, Mexico. And and uh, uh, Garth went with uh, was good friends with Russell Hughes. Right. This is another combination of American. Yeah. See what the whole uh, book about the uh, um, uh, Trisha uh, book two is about the social changes, right? Mm. It, was the, it was the it was the synergy between the American and the Australians that mm. had this energy, right? Yeah. And then, so um, then I moved. I moved to Hawaii. I went to Kauai. I went to Hanalei because Joey Cabell gave me this great job to come mm-hmm. over and 
live in Kauai, live in Hanalei, because he's making a, a chart house, mm-hmm. making a, re- a restaurant. And so anyway, we went different ways, right? And then Garth came over here. So I came over to visit Garth. And Garth had married an Australian woman. And I came over to visit. And then I ended up uh, just back and forth a bit to, there in, in Hawaii. I lived in three three years of uh, in Hanalei, mm. 67 to 70. And then I came over here. And I went back and forth a few times. But then I just came, basically moved in here. And surfing, sorry, so maybe uh, like surfing right at that time in Australia is just about like, you know, the industry as it was operating with uh, Brookvale but Sydney being the hub yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, for board design, I guess, was the industry in this country more oh, yeah. than anything. And then Brookvale and, Brookvale and yeah. contests and uh, the professionalism yeah. and all that sort of thing that's not professionalism is a, a very generous word for what it was, but, you know, it was organised. Oh, and yeah, they were yeah, trying yeah. to be well, mainstream on the back of midget and whatnot. Yeah, exactly. And then all of a sudden, right when you move here, and this is what we're talking about, where these changes start to happen because everyone just clears out. Uh, no one wants to be conscripted. All the uh, surfers, my dad included, just either high-tailed it up the coast mm. or high-tailed it 200 million up. doses of orange sunshine <laughs> acid hits the world. All, all of that stuff going on at the exact same time. And my, one, my one-liner is, thank God I didn't inhale. <laughs> that was George Bush's one liner, wasn't it? I think he took it. But what a what a no, time that was Clinton. To be, that was Clinton. Bill yeah, Clinton. what a time to be moving to Byron in particular. You know, like the town. Uh, and Trish, you're so well qualified because you've written, you know, three books. Just An amazing book. Never I didn't live it. I just yeah. researched. <laughs> but it is crazy that you know Byron. Uh, if you to people who don't know, they say oh, it's the hippie town. But actually, like it was just a rural, meat working, blue collar you know, pretty tough place um, in those particular times and all yeah. the surfers start moving into town. And every surfer And the came transition through. starts to happen, right? Yeah, yeah. It, it totally did. And and that's the premise of the book is that they changed it. You know, they brought – they weren't going to work at the meatworks. So it was a real working class town and that's not um, a criticism. It just – that's just the way it evolved. So it had the meatworks. It had, didn't finish whaling till 65 so I don't know. I've never asked George. Killing, killing, and carving up. Yeah. Uh, All the beaches. Uh, it was, it? was not like a real surfer's kind of. No, yeah. exactly. Well, everyone but was. Tavish did it too, by the way. I'm yeah, well, everyone had a chance to it. see him. Yeah. Dad was shoveling hot offal in the uh, meatworks over there. It's one of his And all the beaches. Feel mind. People don't even understand mm. that every beach from Brokenhead all the way through Tallow, Maine, right through to Bologna yeah. were mined. And there was the Norco yeah. factory as well. Yeah, and then the there was a fishing just... industry. Like there were fishermen until the marine park came in the 90s. Yeah. You had fishermen on the beach. And Belongia was where all the fishermen lived, all the fishermen shacks. So this is something that, whales. This is something that I f- f- really would love to know from you moving here at that time is how did surfers go when they first moved here? Because everyone knows – Again, that, how much time it, they weren't you? welcome, man. They weren't. They like time in the world for you guys. Yeah. That's how you get along. You know, the like law started people. cracking down hard. Um, and you know, you've Look, got yeah. characters. Garth said in your when books. an American walked into the post office, the postmaster would turn his back. <laughs> yeah. wow. They didn't like Americans. How's no, that they didn't. And like, so I interviewed yeah. off the record a couple of the old cops that were here. There's a couple still alive, yeah. which I got a real shock. Like in my research, because I did about seventy interviews. Very interesting. And I'd always look. I'm. I'm. I had a biased view. I know all these guys. And I didn't live it, but I've just found it fascinating. They spill the beans on their deathbed, who they were hassling for roaches. Uh, and I'm still waiting. There's a lot of things that dogs. stay in the vault, as they say. Uh. But um, 
yeah, did they really think all the Americans were drug runners because that's what I've always got or did they plant drugs and you can't allege that, that's defamatory. So I wanted to find out from the cops' point of view, did they really think all the American surfers were doing the drug thing um, right from them because that's what the surfers said that the cops thought. Anyway... No, they didn't. I mean, some did, but yeah, yeah, it's yeah. because they created new industries. So they started the surf shops, they started the wholemeal cafes, they started making films, Russell clothes. started a newspaper, did clothes, shops. And and so, but they did it just to go surfing. Yeah. So they didn't work like the guys at the meatworks. So they just do enough work so that they could go surfing. So they didn't understand. And there were some, a few, not a lot, but a few that did bring a bit of American funders. money that they could yeah. go and buy a place, of course. Yeah. And that's those stories. But their dad might have given them like a, you know, uh, might have been worked for um, yeah, aerospace in LA or something for 20 years and given, the, given his son, you know, uh, uh, yeah, four or five grand or something like that. When he went over here, he might have bought a house or something like yeah, that. Yeah, you could so, buy something. Then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, it was it wasn't like um, you know there wasn't like uh, uh, trust funders, you know, and there were and there were uh, and there weren't sort of like it wasn't like Mr. Big here, right? No. And I guess the other mythology to bust is that you know like the the young surfers that come now, you know, they they say, oh wow, you know, seventies, it was not crowded, it must have been amazing to be here, and you see the photos of the waves at that time, but you know, there wasn't a barista making your latte, and there wasn't these houses with four bathrooms, like it they wasn't lived even in bales. Going to school here, fuck all chicks too. So it wasn't like they kind of transplant is, yeah. the uncrowded great waves with what you could have in amenity yeah. now. But, you know, it was a rough, like we said, and you did, there wasn't a job to come to. You did have to create your own because… Yeah, you, you had to find your own. Yeah, your own. even though it was cheap to live. Byron's always been tricky to, to make a living. You know, you had to, you had to sort of turn your own, um, you know, turn your own pedal in the, in the stew. Mate. Capitalism has always been fairly tricky to make a living in, I would say. And uh, it's interesting. I mean, all those industries you talk about, like as seemingly backwards as some of them might seem, uh, they were also essential industries for the time. Uh, And and if, you know, they were servicing a a, a very clear need. um, Good good point. So well, look, Byron is always—it's got a rich history, and it's been on the map for a really long time. That's the other thing is that people think it was this little tiny small town. No, look at the Norco had the biggest butter factory in the southern hemisphere. You had the railway coming through. You had ships that came and picked up, you know, when the the logging was going on and would take it to Sydney. And in Europe, the, there was a famous uh, uh, pork pate, 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 pate. Which was canned, so the the, the way from the uh, from uh, Norco in town used to put a pipe over to the piggery, and they used to feed them with this way, this amazing thing, and the pork was just fantastic. Oh, wow! And they shipped it all, <laughs> and they shipped, canned it and shipped it all over the world. It's famous. Right in, now, there's about famous in New York. So all eighty thousand Byron Bay vegans just rolling and tossing and turning <laughs> at night, sleeping above those pipes, just getting the vibes. Well, that's where the arts factory is. Like that's yeah. where the piggery. Yeah, that's of yeah. course. Yeah. Yeah. Those vegans yeah. are tossing an and turning because of low protein pro- content in their diet. Let's probably, be honest. Yeah. <laughs> probably, and the minerals. Probably tossing and turning because the. Uh, I mean, it was it was balanced out with the uh, the great music that played at the Piggery and uh, well, and that was an American. So well. the book ends in '74 with Dan yeah. DePell, whose mum was in LA real estate. So it's a great story. So they came out in '65 or '6. Yeah. They're in a band, him and his mate Jimmy mm. Stevens, called Nutwood Rug, and Esther, his mum. 
um, she had a lot of houses actually in Compton, you know, the black neighbourhood of, of mm. LA. And so Danny would have to with his brother, they'd go collect rent, you know. So he kind of, it was a really interesting. Rent in collecting rent in Compton? Collecting rent in Compton. Wow. But so she was a true Christian, Esther, his mom, and she didn't believe like in, you know, good, the Ten Commandments. A good Christian. Mm. Thou shalt not kill. So Thou she shall did not, not kill. her son to go to the Vietnam War. So mm. she paid for him. And the band, the six blokes, wow. to, on a boat to come to Australia. As you should for a good Christian. She funded ah. her, her well, kid. Well, sir, darn right. Yeah, so mm. they arrived yeah. in Sydney and they were on the Don Lane show. They were said to be the first hippies in Australia, which I'm sure there were some in Australia already. And they played sort of jazz infusion, and and then they met up with the Central Coast surfers like Kevin Oxford, and there was mm. a whole bunch of guys that ended up here: Merv Wicker, um, Peter, Peter, um, somebody, Peter. I'm trying to remember his name, and and then they ended up coming up here. And so Dan's mum funded the purchases of the old piggery that created the arts factory and the mm. arts factory in the true sense of an arts factory. So it was, you know, the leather worker, Bill Connor, BC, who's still here and surfing and Colin did glass work and there was candles and there was music and it was the beginning of, of the bands that would be playing in Sydney and then would go to Brisbane and, yeah. and they'd stop here and, go, and then the police they used to have to go to Lismore to get any kind of music or any, anything. Yeah, we used to go to Lismore to the Workers' yeah, yeah. Club to go see, you know, so Archie yeah. Roach over there or Australian Crawl. You couldn't see music in the Sick, Byron. sick. So yeah. that was out of, yeah, so Danny bought that old piggery in 1974 and it was like just a wreck, you know, mm. with pipes and... You know, Huge infrastructure. Just, yeah, yeah, just this big old building. And he had the dream to turn it into Kirkland's an a, arts used factory. It as a depot with buses and stuff. Yeah. Keep the and so iconic sessions, really memorable swells or, or, or sessions during that period that stand out, Rusty? Um, I guess it's sort of a um, – uh, it's interesting you said that because I was just thinking today, <laughs> I walked up on the uh, in the fisherman's um, – Look out! Looking down at the um, at the point, you know, and watching a gaggle of uh, you know there must have been twenty guys, and there would be a good there could be a good group of there, right? And it was all about um, uh, you know lining up because there's only sort of one place on a good swell. There's only one place to take off to get to really get a point wave, right? And then every every so many waves, I mean the, the Swell might go, you know, move over a little bit and stuff like that. But basically, there's one. And so I was just watching today, these guys taking off, you know, and who to, who picked because I'm up up above and they're looking down. It's quite interesting. And I just thought about just like what you said. I was just thinking about that was the era when there was like I think everybody. I think the difference was like we all sort of all knew each other. More people knew each other, right? And then it was like who took off the the closest to the rock, right? And I'm thinking, of course, Nat was so obviously good at it, right? You know, and uh, and I was sufficient with it also. But I was just thinking of today that the same, the same old thing, you know. And when you say, do I remember, uh, you know, the, the actual specific days? No, I remember being there a lot and catching a lot of waves like that because. And of course, we surfed. I, my favorite place, of course, is Lennox because that's the that's the place that I um, I love the most. Right, that's my 
biggest uh, thrill that I've ever had is that. And, bro- and broken. I mean, they're both three. The most, I call it when I teach surfing. So I teach surfing at the pass. And I call that, uh, I call that baby bear. And then uh, broken is mama bear. And Lennox is Papa Bear, <laughs> but wow. like, but no, but but you know, lo, like low tide at the pass is just like, you know, serious, you know, you know, like. And I was just thinking today, I saw, mm. wow, that was a lot of like. And you know, who was really good too at it too. I don't know when what era during era was was mono. Oh yeah, yeah. Mono is was such a good server. Yeah. He just gets so close. Yeah, and he's uh, he's this is uh, Mark Stewart, Nilo, right? who uh, yeah, he's, I think he's adapted four or five times world yeah, champion, yeah, yeah. and and, um, and he'd go right on, he'd go right, he'd right, he'd yeah. go out near the right next to the rock. He's heading for he's the Hall of Fame, that guy. He's no, yeah. he's so he's yeah, yeah. so legendary, and he's actually bringing the adaptive world championships to that's right, to yeah, Byron. in March, in the next they're in March, yeah, yeah, like soon. So that's we'll amazing. get him on Smithy yeah. and, and have a catch up, but um. Uh, obviously, mate, uh, Lennox uh, and the North Coast heavily feature in the most, you know, classic era-defining surf film of that time, and the most enduring surf film of all time, maybe "Morning of the Earth," which is, uh, yeah, you know, far out, mate. It's it, it, you think of "Morning of the Earth," the first thing you think of before you think of MPs, Cuddy, or anything is just that iconic image on the cover of, of you and Steve Cooney, and um, yeah. man, I mean. <laughs> It's he's, trippy, he's, mate. He's it's, the it's, Forrest Gump of surfing. Yeah, you're I think everywhere. It is, yeah. Yeah. Somebody everywhere it's said that. I don't know why. Because he just ends up <laughs> in the most – in places that now are iconic yeah. or in films or things happen to him without any planning. I mean, there was the place like but it was just, also the time, you know. That's right, yeah. The time of the place. Like there was a, the sunset shot, like Dr. D- um, Don James, a dentist from California, took a picture with that famous picture of, mm. um, of Sunset Beach. And I was, yeah, that was, that was, um, thing. and then, and then morning of the earth. And then, uh, and then somehow, some way they used, you know, LB used that logo as yeah. it's walking out on the reef. At Amazing <laughs> though, isn't it? Like it's, it's I so. Don't know. I didn't it choose it. It is an iconic, it's like the, <laughs> it um, is. Yeah. endless summer, you know, yeah, it's and exactly, August. it's almost, yeah, it's almost is an homage to that in, in a, in a way yeah. it's that sort of fr- shot from behind with. Yeah. The sun and the mm. light and all of that stuff, but it's of its time as well. And it it yeah. just, what do you think it is so enduring? Why do you think that people just have tapped into the energy and the the moment of that more so than any other film? Well, I think yeah, because it symbolizes what they when they were like so many people come up to me and say, oh wow, I saw that and I went to you know I went to Indo and that's it changed my life and you know well good that's good right so maybe maybe because of that I can go to heaven. <laughs> Hope so, mate. Well, uh, in, what, what was it like surfing Ulu's backhand with no legs? Oh, yeah, no, it sure just you. doesn't seem that fun to me. That's, even though, like, well, I know are it you going to St. Peter and you say, oh, I, th- I think no I'm leggy? Died. Are I you died. kidding me? Get I, through I, the I, gates, you I maniac. Died. Get a fine and Byron Council for that. <laughs> Is this heaven? Is this heaven, St. Peter? And he said, He says, No, you just came from it. <laughs> oh, mate, I love that, and that, That's really that is actually the truth, huh? And I've experienced that in Bali uh, with the help of you know some aids in the form of the, the mycelium that grows out of the ground there. But you get a sense sometimes when you're in Bali that Nirvana and, and heaven is on Earth, and it is in yeah. that exact setting, surfing pristine well, was, tropical waves. It was, you, mate. It was Nehru visiting uh, uh, Sukarno. 
and, and he was saying, and they met in Bali. Sukarno is one of Sukarno's favorite wives, from what I, what I know, was uh, Balinese, right? So they sort of protected the uh, that era. Yeah. So Sukarno, just for our listeners, he was uh, the socialist leader of Indonesia prior to Suharto, the, the first leader of Indonesia Sukarno. on the backside. He was a bit of a di- yeah. He was yeah, not exactly democratically elected, yeah. nor was his uh, successor Suharto. But I mean, Sukarno was uh, the son of a. A, a Javanese school teacher and a, a Balinese woman, yeah. and uh, you know he was leading this kind of pan Asian, pan African uprising against the West, and had a lot of that kind of revolution. That's how Albin uh, did the movie because because uh, Nehru said told him, "Oh, this is the beginning of the Earth." The beginning, the morning of the Earth. No, the mor- no, it wasn't he didn't the morning, say of, the morning of the Earth. He no, says, it was no. There is a word. Um, it's not morning it's of the big, earth, but it's a take on what he's what he said. So Nero yeah. said that to Sukarno, and that became the, the yeah, title yeah, that of became and that's where Albi got that's the there. idea. Yeah, who's Nero? Got. Sorry, my ignorance. He was the Indian. Nero was the was the Indian uh, was prime the, minister. Yeah, prime minister of wow, India. Wow, that's fascinating because at the end of the day, as idyllic as after Gandhi, right. And as idyllic oh, as Bali seemed at that time, and Morning of the Earth paints this utopian, idyllic view of surfing, you, you know, you're a political science student. Um, well, yeah. you, you understand the way of the world, and you're going to this Thought country that, like, literally a, a couple of years earlier, they were purging people off those cliffs. They were they murdered like that's the yeah five hundred thousand yeah. to one point five million. Did you read, did you read uh, Phil Jarrett's um, book? Uh, no, Bali, I've seen how, it. Yeah. But what's it called, sorry? Uh, ballet, Heaven and Hell. Oh, I haven't, but I've seen a lot of John Pilger's films and yeah. um, uh, The Act of Killing yeah, Phil, Oppenheimer's. Phil's book is quite good because it gets from the surfer's point of view, which he is, mm. a brilliant writer. Brilliant. And he, write, he starts the history and it goes through the whole sort of era. But yeah, through that that killing field. And, uh, but I see, I knew when I left, before when we went to Bell, I I'd looked read some history of... Indonesia, and there was a lot of trouble. It was only five years before we went, after we went, before we went, uh, when all that killing happened in mm-hmm. Bali. And th- yeah, thousands of, you know, many thousands of people were, were uh, killed. And so knowing that all this was Massacre. so fresh in the past and, and there's all this upheaval. Very fresh. All this upheaval going on yeah. all over the world. How did that feed into your, your passion for surfing, well, there was your echoes. relationship to there's, surfing? There's, 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 there's echoes of it, of it you know, of that, of that happening. In fact, um, I want to read one little. Please, thing. I write this book called Papaya. It's about it's about books and about the Alexander libra- Library and the books and stories and things that happen, right? And, and there's one little sto- one little part that I wanted wanted to say, and it's quite interesting. It says, um, um, so it says according to J. M. Coetzee, this means understanding the past as a force that shapes the present. Mm. So we're talking always about, you know, history of what happened and then that actually uh, relates what's going to happen in the future. You know? So that's why history is so, it's still, I should say, oh yeah, I put a little in there. It's alive. <laughs> it's alive. Culture is alive. So that's why, yeah, that's why I, I, I was always a, a historian, a lover of historian it, because it's so alive. Yeah, and, and as they say, you know, culture is a reaction to what came before, which is essentially uh, exactly what Kutsi's saying there. He's the, the leader of South Africa, was he, back in the day, that guy? Uh, I don't writer? know if he was referring to J.M. Kutsi, the writer, or yes. – 
Yeah, oh, I think yeah. it was probably JM. In any case, C-O-E-T-Z-E-E. I mean, yeah. it's yeah. interesting to, to see how war and, and all that upheaval of the, the 60s and 70s fed into surf culture in such a direct way. Mm. You know, you had on one hand war, misery, uh, capitalism and colonialism gone mad and on the other hand you had all these people completely rejecting that way of life and, and connecting with nature in its purest essence yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, to create a culture that has still – it's still to this day uh, a, a place where – people who are jaded by the system can seek refuge in. Yeah. And, and it's And a beautiful. lot of those Americans did come because they either had didn't want to go to the Vietnam War or like Roy Meisel, who's the Bear Nature guy. a good guy, example. He'd been to the Vietnam War and he'd well, come to Sydney on R&R. He knew, he knew what was happening. Yeah, so as soon as he got back to yeah. California, he just said, I'm out of here. And, and, yeah. and Wayne Lynch was here for those couple of years on the run. So there was... Yeah. Um, this was a long way away and if you read some of the stories, you know, they did crazy things. Like actually just about every yeah. one of them did some kind of thing to not go to the war. And when so I they lived in Hawaii, had their long hair or they I used to I, when I lived in Honolulu, I used to be good friends with a guy named Howard Taylor. We used to talk a lot, a lot about it. And it was like uh, it was the RR, and that's where all the bodies came back from Vietnam into into Hawaii. So surfers, you know, surfers that didn't come back, right? But like there's a through the vine, you know, through the vine you knew. And even though it was like you know, it was this amazing, unbelievable life I was living in Hanalei with with a pretty original, almost like a secret place, really good waves, stuff like that. It was still to me there was still the still the 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 the, the happening of the war was the echo the echoes of the walls were in the in the mountains were coming back on you and i was i wasn't not you know i was like i was going really well but it but her and i just want just want to say and i really like this one thing i just look at it again it says the past as a force that shapes the present so that wanted me to do something to actually uh actually do that and that's why i had to one of the reasons i left america is I was I was happy I was so proud to be an American blood wise, but it wasn't what they were doing. Just like just like during Vietnam and stuff like that. You mm. know? It's like uh, I'm reminded of that quote by Ken Casey, who says, uh, you know, when confronted with tyranny and war and, and dictators, the best thing you can do is just say, just turn around and say fuck it, <laughs> which is in other words, just like go surfing. Like don't yeah. even fight it. It's yeah. kind of the Gandhi method. I mean for Gandhi you it was – got to keep a balance. you got to be conscious of it but not sort of like screw your life up. But, you know, I think it's, it is. It is it's a really it's a really balance. Even now, right, you know, what's going on now in, in, in Gaza and uh, in Israel, everything, you know, it's not like you know, you're not anti uh, – you're not anti-Jewish people. You're anti what they're doing. And like anybody else uh, has in the war, like the Nazis done in, in Germany and stuff like that. So it wasn't the people. It's the, you know, it's what, what, what actually the, the, the state is what the state actually is doing, you know. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, for you, like what did surfing actually do for your mental health and your, your mind at this time? You know, what role did it fulfill in your life, given all that you knew? Because you, you were so educated and worldly. Well, I say it's my, yeah, my life. Um, well, that's interesting you say wealthy. Oh, worldly. I, I <laughs> no, didn't no, say wealthy. I, well, I, I, no, I do. I do. I do feel, well, but I look at a holistic, um, 
approach of, of life. You know, I've always been very philosophical in that way. So I've always felt a bit, and I, I argue with Tricia about it, I say, I'm, I'm rich. I don't mean like I'm rich like with the money. I'm rich with like my, you know, well, currently I actually have health, you know, I'm healthy and and also, but so we live. We live in an amazing life. I mean, in Byron Bay, you know, look at a, this is a, this is a real. You know, I love Byron Bay, but gosh darn, it's so decadent. It's unbelievable. It's a, how comfortable we are in all. Like a lot of people, have to be uh, work, have three or four jobs just to be sort of sort of comfortable, <laughs> just to pay the rent. You know? it's, I I say that that surfing saved Rusty's life. That's what I say. It's a life force. Yeah, for sure. I agree. It is a life force. It, it is, you know, you can go surfing and there's this thing that courses through you, this energy, and all you need to do is, is ride a wave and you can do it with whatever vessel yeah. or, or even your body uh, and, and you, you get that buzz. And uh, yeah. what an you amazing You got problems. Thing. So you go for a surfing and come back and you still have a problems, but, you know, it's just a problem. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so I can, true. I can probably handle it. <laughs> in this era of high-performance surfing in the surf industry, I oh, mean, it can God. sound trite to say stuff like I just said, but it is the truth. I mean, how did you feel seeing the, the industry envelop this kind of cottage core culture that you were a part of? Oh, you know, I can't – I just can't believe, like, um, with Jack uh, McCoy came – Stay with us a couple of days and showed this movie, and all these guys came to pick him up and took him down the coast. And who were those guys? The guys. Oh, look, it was the latest film. It was great and Day on and Go Nibbles. off. Yeah. These guys and we are went like to the northern and yeah. Jesus and that was Christ. amazing. Like that. That was standing room only. Were you there that night? I was there that night. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah well, we amazing. took Jack because he wasn't driving, mm. and we just hung in the background, and we could not believe. Because they Dion. weren't sure anyone was even going to turn up. Yeah. And it's like, look at this. And it was a wet Everybody Thursday night. Or well, I'll tell you. <laughs> yeah. it, they were turning people away. And the love for Jack yeah. in that room was, was uh, yeah. palpable. And, and also the love Dion and Kai and that and the respect they have for Jack. is Because you know they used to just live here. like. Oh, Dion and Kai did? Yeah, so Kai used to live just in the house just down there and yeah. Dion was at the end. That's When we classic. moved in and we kind of went, oh, like after having lived in Kurabel for over 30 years, moving here we kind of went, because we lived next to the music farm and we had this amazing life in the hills. Mm. And then we got, and we're thinking, oh, we got to move to suburbia oh, or something. fucking and Gold Coast nerds with their electronic <laughs> music up at all hours. <laughs> And we ended up in a surf neighbourhood. It was pretty good. We yeah. can't complain. Yeah. But that is they true. Like it, It's easy, uh, I think. Sometimes you can look at the industry and just the endless, you know, growth and, and the way that big companies that used to be a bunch of mates just making stuff for the fun of it have been bought out yeah, yeah. and sold out and wherever that takes the culture and you can feel kind of overwhelmed and bitter about it all. But then you see, you know, these next custodians of the culture like pulling in Jack McCoy, surfing with you guys every day, like, you know. Yeah, but look what those guys, t- look what they do, look what they took, what they took this, you know, it's to sort of, t- uh, you know, uh, big, big, long, you know, ten six long boards. Uh, why am I taking off and thinking this guy straight now? They're doing, you know, on foils, taking off, doing spinners, mm. <laughs> going in the air and surfing, you know, waves that are not twenty or thirty foot waves. They're actually sixty and eighty foot waves, you know. And yeah, I mean, you know, it's, just, a, yeah, it's just gone off. Do you, you know? do you love that? Do you I'm, love like the actual I'm, just when you're the, watching surfing and and oh. what, where it is and what it's become? Do you yeah. just go? Far out. I can't even endless watch, source of, of I can't stone. even watch dip, uh, ship sterns. Like, <laughs> oh, yeah, I think everyone struggles with that one. Don't worry, Rusty. It's you haven't had uh, thoughts of chipping in on your nine two out there. <laughs> <laughs> I take my last my last ride. Go, 
Yeah, for the finale there, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> I, I feel that like one, one of the major, like, you know, sources of, I don't know, maybe just uh, what a way to surfing go. through your life. You know, if you, like, uh, there's a saying That's you guys have, right? He That's says, your motto. It's his motto, surfing. And one of the Italians, when there's a whole little Italy that exists in Byron yeah, yeah. and yeah. surfers, which is gorgeous and all create for, this great first, food. Uh, but the first Italian that we met, because we were walking down the ramp and he had a Dick Van Strollen fish mm. and one of our girls had a Dick Van Strollen fish and just got to chatting and ended up becoming friends. And he went. He was one of the few that went back to Italy, but he got um, tattooed on the inside arch of his foot. He had Rusty Wright surfing through life, surfing and he's actually life, got yeah. it on his foot tattooed. And when our youngest daughter was living in Italy after high school, and I went to visit her, and we ended up meeting up with him, and and we went over to um, Sardinia with him, and he's you know there he was. He, he it was such a memorable thing, and he loved Rusty's. Thoughts about surfing mm. and and yeah, I love to. that saying though because like uh, when you were talking right at the start of the podcast about the names, um, you know, past, present, and the future who came to your 80th birthday party. Like the one common thread is that they're all frothing, they're all stoked. So you know, yeah. like they don't see the changes in the surf world as something to feel bummed out about. Like they all want to come and see you because that it brings up all those feelings and. Memories of just these wonderful times well, and experiences. It was so, well, and John Peck, I forgot to say John Peck oh, John came as well. Great yeah. John Peck, doff <laughs> of the cup. How can I forget John you, Peck? Don't you reckon, like, when you meet these people who were right there at the very start, in, in, especially, you know, for us, that, that's think? the common thread. Frothers. Mm. Full-blown frothers always frothing. It, yeah, and to keep – and that's what Jack's good at too is keeping relevant with young people and being involved and yeah. not being a – curmudgeonly old man (laughs) and and just yeah and just engaging with it and 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 being involved and then you can you know you get to enjoy it you know i mean you could sit around and complain it is like byron where people complain and you go sure you know there's homeless people there's Mm. a lot of people who can't afford to live it there's lots of bad things but you just you are here and you have to appreciate where you are and you do have to get behind and 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 do what you can do, and and complaining doesn't hap- doesn't no. help anything at all. And we're in a time where celebrating, you know, these these huge moments in in history, like you know, surfers deciding to boycott the social structures and go up the coast and start making a life for themselves that was more connected yeah. to nature. Like everyone celebrates that if once they get to know surfing on a, on a or, level. or 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 unite because they're like like they say yeah. in like herding cats. But actually, when they ah, come together, yeah. yeah but when they come True. together, like uh, right. what David uh, uh, Rastovich and Lauren and 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 surfer, sur- uh, yeah, surfers for uh, change, all that, all these uh, groups mm. uh, really do good work, and they actually stop the mining in the, um, you know, on, on the offshore mining. That's and right. Stuff like yeah, that. the, the oil exploration and the gas exploration. Yeah, that was that was good. This is really good to see surfers. Yeah, it's a very it's probably one of the more intergenerational things isn't it like where you can actually hang out like you don't probably get and this is the old argument too like you don't think of it as a sport it's an art you know and and people do debate whether it should even be competition but I still love seeing surfers running to the beach. Mm. You don't see a basketball player run into the court or a <laughs> tennis guy running, you know, but surfers run to the beach. They're always excited. They, run, they can hardly skip. wait to get there. They're, they skip onto into Yeah, it. yeah, and you get to surf <laughs> with all ages, 
all the time. You get to be with, you know, there can be parents surfing with their kids and grandkids mm. and you just don't get that with other activities or other things you do and that's mm. what's fabulous about it. You yeah. just it, You really get off. That's why I love, I love teaching because it's, you know, a lot of different – you were out there this morning. Yeah. But I mean, you, yeah. you guys are the classic, you know, uh, sharers of wisdom. You know, like the, the, for where you are and for what you've experienced, you, you continually give back. Like you've, as well as just literally physically teaching people. You think people our lives are uh, uh, a bed of roses? Oh, I don't know. No, no. If you're hey, busy, judging you're off. It's a bed of termites at the moment. We're not going to go into that. If you've got a busy got, brain and a busy issues. life, it ain't no bed of roses. We all know that. Yeah. There's plenty of thorns in there. But, um, you know, as well as the actual physical act of sharing surfing with people who have never done it before and, and sharing the area. You've got Obstinate you've got dreamers, your, your that's books. what we're called. Yeah, your books that you've done. Um, like there's four just in front of us on the floor here, the two turning point books. No Fixed Abode, which is about the homeless And the people. latest Neverland, and which Neverland is uh, for sale and everyone on the podcast should get it because it's an absolute crap. We'll put it in show notes, uh, yeah. a link to your website or whatever. And as well as that though, you've got the Byron Guide, which you've the been guide, publishing yeah. for years. Like, Actually, the new the new guide is – we're really proud of that. Yeah, We've cool. been doing it, it since lovely. 1984. So what happened? So much, it was so much fun. Wow. Yeah. Well, but, when the meatworks closed in 83, they thought the town – the town's always been boom and bust. And mm. there's a great yeah. old history book a guy called Maury Ryan wrote called Time and Tide. And he said Byron is a town of boom and bust. When's and the next bust? I want to scoop up some cheap <laughs> real estate. <laughs> well, I thought COVID was. Don't ask me mm. for any real estate COVID advice. COVID went yeah. down. I really thought that that was dropped. when the yeah. bust was happening. It really felt like there's it nobody can just, come. There's no one yeah. from overseas. Anyway, it wasn't. But his book goes up mm. to 83 and I think it covers the meatworks closure. And that put like 10% of the whole population out of work. So 300 people – no, 3,000 people lived in the town and 300 people were put out of work. Mm. And so that was big and there was no nothing to replace yeah. them. So exactly. the council in their wisdom decided that tourism was going to be an industry mm. and they courted – the mainstream media, they invited journalists up mm. and the first tourism promotion officer was put into place and then the Chamber of Commerce wanted to do uh, a publication and that's and that was 84. So Rusty and I, he got the gig to um, sell the advertising and I've always been good at doing layout and it was the Tourism Promotions Committee. So I've still got the first but edition. But what great hands to have it in because like you were saying just when we walked in, Trisha, like – there's messages in there. There's yeah. like education in there. There's actually get a little feel Peter for this Singer, place. Peter Singer, philosophical yeah, exactly icons. Then. You've got these kind of uh, – Kerry O'Brien's written for us. Wow, really? Julian Schultz, um, a guy called John Ralston Soule, who's a Canadian philosopher. He wrote The Unconscious Civilization, and like, he came to Byron. See, we've, the Writers' Festival is a treasure trove. Like if you ever get a chance to go, people come from all over to that festival – and it's very accessible. Like Malcolm Fraser came one time and, you know, you could have a conversation Man. with an ex-Prime Minister and talk about things and it's very um, open to do that. So that's been a great thing that's happened. So that's, yeah, so we get to meet different people. People come through, Jennifer Clement, a Mexican-American poet, and so we snaffle them up to write for us. <laughs> Imagine. How good is that? And, um, How good is that? And like, they never say no. Like it's pretty extraordinary where they don't say no. Um, who else? Rob Drew writes for us. Um, it's rad because yeah. you guys are, are conduits, you know, as all writers and, you know, uh, academics are. You're really just a conduit for the information and stories that you hear and absorb 
Uh, and then you've all, you're also a conduit for, for all this kind of natural energy that courses through you through the course of surfing. So, yeah, it's a, it's a nice balance that you guys have struck. And, I mean, it's evident in your body of work and, and in the lifestyle that, that you live. Uh, yeah, well, it's just, again, rich stories. Like mm. I just tell other people's stories because they're so interesting and there's just so many more. Like the, the Neverland book was originally a contemporary history of Byron following on from Maury Ryan's Time and Tide and it was so big I just went, I can't do this. The list of names to interview just got bigger and bigger. So I ended up just doing The Surfers, which still took seven years and now I'm working on in, um, a history of – development and activists in the coast and I've got it pretty narrowed down to what I'm going to do but it for everything that we've got that's developed here and people are really starting to talk about the development mm. I mean the main street is really going through quite a, yeah. a change for every one that we got there's another 10 or 20 that didn't happen and people need to know that this yeah. town this shire has been under development pressure since the 1960s mm. and and people don't Understand, And yeah. it's been American pressure, like it was American development companies that bought all of North Ocean Shores, bought all of Broken Head. And I really want to contrast why Ocean Shores developed as it did and Broken Head didn't and then in between a few other sites. But then the other one, which is, I mean, that one's quite academic. Mm. But it's and also thanking uh, what what didn't happen yeah. because of activism. So it, was, it wasn't about development, it was about inappropriate development. Yeah, it was that's always going to happen. That's what we're down And to. it's right. a call to arms. people need places to live. Yeah. Uh, so you need houses and it is about appropriate development. I mean, Ocean Shores, many of my friends now live there. I remember in the 90s when we used to call it open sores. Yeah, and yeah. It was, exactly. Yeah, and there was exactly. Banger Hole and Suffering <laughs> exactly, Park yeah, and yeah. Boring Bay and all of those. <laughs> <laughs> it was. Yeah. But, yeah. How did, but we've there been very go. fortunate because there still is – look, we're bookended. You've got the North Ocean Shores Nature Reserve. You've got the Broken Head Nature Reserve. You've got the marine park in the water that goes to Lennox. Mm. And you've got the Cape Byron Headland. We've got Bob and Carr to thank for Bob that Carr. as a Labour Premier. Amazing. Because he was a bushwalker and he came up yeah. here and he appreciated the forest, mm. he saved all of that the for us. The whole foreshore from that, the north to the south has preserved That's pretty amazing. I actually his visions. And wow. the water tower, yeah. like where the water tower, you yeah. know where you go and all the tourists and sometimes locals go and look at the moonrise up the top where the water tower is. Mm. Yeah. All of that and the end of Seaview Street was going to be developed and it was – it had approval and the bulldozers were on site. And Bob Carr's government bought the land back from the company. So they can – governments – so when people say, and especially young people say, oh, it doesn't matter who's in power, they're all the same, politicians are all the same. No, it does matter. And you I can get matter. a politician like a Bob Carr to, to actually change – that changed our town. Mm. So you would go up and where you go down, that little bit down the water tower towards um, – the top shop, that would all be developed. And people, and it was only because of him that he actually stopped it. Well, I think Neverland just, honestly, it's worth buying. <laughs> and this is, uh, you know, I haven't had a, had a good chance to sink my teeth into it, but if you open it, it's got the Crown Land map of what he goes in 1970. That's really popular. With the block <laughs> and the prices on it. Three, 300 it bucks. Is, mate, you could get a block Get ready for, for your eyes bucks. to melt out of your head. <laughs> Do I need to see this? And then uh, uh, it's uh, on the Back inside cover is the same. The next year, map the next year, and the prices are already jumping. Went up like a little bit. Yeah. Skyrocketing. <laughs> but it's a beautiful book, Trisha. And um, and yeah, Simon Baker did the forward. Simon completely out so of the cool. blue. I asked him to write the forward, 
just because I knew he was a surfer yeah. and I knew, but I didn't know how much he was um, impacted by the American surfers. Mm. He said they made him think he could do anything and therefore he did go off on his adventure Journey. of being an actor in the United States. It was the American surfers who showed him the way and I didn't know that when That's I asked cool. him and so they impacted his life enormously. We're going to put the others. Neverland and uh, all the books in our show notes if you want to uh, find out how to get hold of them. So well, that's... Turning Point 1's out of print. Oh. Um, yeah, we don't have any more of that. No and by Neverland I'm down to 200 copies. So, okay. Um, well, in, in, get in, get, get in. Yeah, get in quick. And, and Rusty, I mean, you were here for a number of the most important protest movements in this region. Uh, you ran a newspaper, the Byron Express for a higher shire, I believe was the tagline. Yeah. Genius. <laughs> <laughs> a guy named David, David Guthrie. <laughs> Was also my partner in that. He lives in Bangalore. Oh, true. David Guthrie, yes. Oh, shout out to David. David um, and I. But, mate, like some of the most important protest movements in the history of this country happens here. Uh, I mean. Look, I think that- the biggest one we did, right? Yeah. I think the most significant that we did, uh, because I was just part part of some of those other ones, was the uh, we stopped a dam. They wanted to do a big dam between uh, Federal and uh, Monte Column. It was going to flood that whole huge valley, you know. To provide a water um, capacity, you'd probably, your dad would remember that. That's um, right. To supply for a population the size of the Gold Coast. So we fought it for 12 years. 12 years of fighting. To say we've never been asked if we want a population Uh, the size of the Gold Coast. So it went from… It was again, Rouse County Council. Yeah, Keys Bridge all the way to Gooningarry. So there's there's a natural… Well, you know, all the ridges there. It's Gooningarry, Federal and Kurabel. So, I mean, there's been lots of… Battles, if you that was yeah. our particular one because it impacted because we lived in Kurabel. This is such a great point that you make because a lot of development proposals, you know, you don't get to vote on them, but they're the most important things in shaping the way that you live urban planning, town planning. Yeah, um, yeah. Once you change it, it's gone, it's gone forever. Totally. Yeah. But it's do like we get for consulted? Sure. Yeah. Ne- never. Yeah. Like, it's like you, you kind of do, but it's in the fine print. Uh, yeah, you know, yeah. you don't really. And that, that and they took make it 12 like that. years. That yeah, took yeah. 12. And we were just in the end. I mean, we were really, we had great neighbors who had great we, connections. Yeah, yeah. Like, one guy was an ad man. And so he, and we were next to the music farm. Wayne, so yeah. Olivia Newton-John used to come there. Yotha Yindi came there. Um, Grace Knight from Uruguay lived on our road. Um, Jack Thompson used to come. So they, so we used to go down. The other thing when you're, when you're fighting, I, I don't like that word, but when you're um, trying to stop develop, inappropriate developments, you also have to enjoy the time you're doing it because when you're doing this for 12 years celebrate along the trail so we'd go down to celebrate on the journey yeah Fern Gully which was what the book and the movie was called was where that was going to be flooded so we would go down yeah so Fern Gully came from this it's a real place yeah 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 yeah, yeah, Diana wrote the book and then it got turned into the film and Olivia um, supported that so we ended up we could keep doing the things we're doing, but then you got to get really smart. So we'd fundraise and get um, an ecologist, David Millage, who writes a report. And then we'd get a water engineer because we didn't know gigaliters from megaliters from anything. And they would write Brian reports. Millgate. So over the course of time, you had to raise money to get the experts in. So there was a whole lot of different points of time and people get tired over 12 years. You can't sustain but yeah, And you something. also have to change. You have to have, the, you know, like we had uh, Don Page helped us, right? He was the... Yeah, he came and looked at it one. Because it came and had... Looked at it. So it was a combination of, uh, of people. And it wasn't Neville just Newell. not in my backyard. It was about the essence of... Our backyard. Do you really want <laughs> to create? The so cut, in the end, that The nation film, state's yard. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, Olivia, there was a film that we then sent to the premiere at the time, which was John Fay, and everything helped. That probably yeah, kicked Olivia, it over the line. Mundawai. Um, Mundawai. And, yeah, and, and we won that one, but – and there's lots that – And now they're, you know, now West they're fighting, we now didn't they're win. fighting we didn't against uh, uh, Raz for uh, Danoon. Yeah. Mm. Well, but anyhow, they know a lot more of the, about dams than they used to because dams only have a, a certain lifetime. Yeah. Because yeah. that's what Patagonia has been doing, hasn't it? Yeah. They've been actually buying back old well, dams. Well, they took out – they, they went to, yeah, they wanted to uh, take out dams because yeah. of the – the way the salmons go up the up the rivers, the ecological impacts. And, so and you had on Terrania Creek as well. That was before my time, but that you were here for that, Rusty. That was an, an era, and no, I didn't enjoy it. I didn't enjoy. It. I didn't. Uh, no, I wasn't in on that one. Oh, okay. I mean, I went and visited, but I wasn't. But that yeah. was again another. Look, it I was like the, I'm promoting uh, labour, but it was um, Neville Ran who actually stopped Penny the logging. Penny of Wong Terrania was a young. Creek. No, that's a, a different one. Oh, okay. Yeah. Mm. Terrania Creek. Uh, so you had Age of Aquarius Festival in Nimbin. Were you around for that, Rusty? Yeah. What was that like? Uh, well, that's when I was doing the newspaper. For the, the, um, for the higher uh, shire. Byron Express. Mm. Yeah. And so, yeah, went out, went out for that. That was that was. You interviewed exciting. Kath Walker, who was Ujuru Nunakal, which is, again, there was a – it was the the first Welcome to Country was given at the Aquarius Festival and – Kath Walker, Ujuru Nunakal, who was from Stradbrook Island. Her son was living in Nimbin, but you went and interviewed Dennis Walker, her yeah. up at Stradbrook. And this was early days with Indigenous mm. and non-Indigenous sort of relationships. I mean, you're looking at 73. And did they even have the vote in Queensland at that point? When did the f- Well, 67 was the referendum. 67, so yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but it was still, Just. you know, you'd, there was suspicion, you know, like what would – and you were very fortunate to meet her and be able to interview her, weren't you, Rusty? Yeah, went out to Australia. Yeah. And that's where they were mining. It was about sand mining. She actually lived right next to the sand mining um, situation, yeah. So she was like fighting for it. But she was she was a uh, – she was a versed – I think she was an original uh, university uh, um, professor, lecturer and poet. And her and her son uh, Dennis Walker was a was a uh, a very uh, spirited um, uh, activist, <laughs> as you as you might as mention. As was she, yeah. And as was she, yeah. And I just had this lovely interview, and she just um, told these beautiful stories about totem. You know, the, the carpet snake was a totem. Her dad was uh, um, one of the head people there. And it was quite a beautiful story. And she tells the story of of uh, of the dolphins in Southport. Uh, 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 Mawunda, Mawunda, and it was about the white tip dolphin, and she tells a story about, um, you know, um, <clears throat> the gray-haired man. Uh, we used to teach all the, uh, teach the dogs, and then when she died, the uh, dolphins came when the white tips, and he was the, t- the dolphin was the white tip with the was the teacher, right? And so that became the totem of of um, Southport. Southport or Stradbrook. The Southport. Southport. She told me this story. Uh, Stradbrook was was the carpet snake. Wow. She told me about different uh, what the world of totems is and how how they how they symbolize uh, you know uh, indigenous people's sacredness, Man. which we do much more you know much more now of mm. course. Mm. Mm. What in those days they didn't do that. Yeah. No, I can't imagine how uh, yeah, just, like you said the, the trust issues between the white and black yeah. populations. But then here you have this festival. The Age of Aquarius Festival, which is one of the really early 
you know, grassroots movements that are aimed yeah. at, at breaching that divide. Uh, you know, the, the Freedom Rides obviously coming up from Sydney Uni, I guess, yeah. was around about that time. But Oh, that was in the 60s actually. Yeah, okay. But a lot of people mistake Aquarius here and they say it was Australia's Woodstock and it wasn't at all because yeah. Woodstock was a big rock festival. It's more about architecture it, students. It was about architecture and living differently. Yeah. So it was organised by the Australian Union of Students and the architecture faculty from um, Sydney University. And, and so they were looking, you know, there was the Buckminster Fuller Geodesic Dome and it was about the living. Geodesic Dome. Geodesic Thank dome. you for bringing that up. I was, <laughs> I was racking my brain for yeah, call me, what the Call me Trim Tab. Yeah, yeah. And that's where all the multiple occupancies, which, my yeah. God, we keep mentioning Bob Carr who actually made legal, like they all started after Aquarius in 73. You know, you had all the um, – around the Channon, you've got Bodie Farm, you've got Darmananda, you've got um, Tunstall so they tried Falls. To do, they wanted and that to do was it. created yeah. – so it was – so people fled out of the cities, yeah. educated people that were at university and you could buy and that's when – and it was the perfect storm because it was when dairy farming was on the decline, beef – Farming was on the decline, so you had these farmers with these properties and they just saw them as weed patches and so you could buy thousands of acres for not very much and I know people don't like to hear that but it was still, you know, people made that decision and they did do it tough. They did actually buy land but you had to, you couldn't get loans to, to no. buy and to build so they created a whole different model of living which was called multiple occupancy. Turn those weed farms into... Weed, weed farms. farms. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of them run by surfers. Well played. It's true, yeah. But it had more of a thought behind it, the Aquarius, than Woodstock, yeah. which was just a big rock festival. And so it lives on, you know, and people think about it. And mm. it do, it did change the North Coast. But surfers market. were here like a good decade before that yeah. doing yeah. that. So you can't, you can't, one thing good that we wrote about is not, it was it was a mix. It wasn't, it wasn't about, uh, <clears throat> you know, surfers were original sort of people who uh, grow their own food and, you know, thought really um, sort of very spiritually about nature uh, and did, uh, you know, solar uh, uh, collectors and compost toilets and yeah. organic gardening and all that, yeah. right? It was a decade before that Aquarius yeah. stuff. Well and truly. And where did it go? We, we kind of need to rediscover that, don't Alfie's we? still on the farm, mate, if you want to go visit him. I was just with him on Sunday, actually. He's just still living out there with his pit toilet and his weed farm. <laughs> but he's, uh, yeah, he's living his best life out there. He, mm. he got home from travelling and um, sort of did what what you what a lot of guys did and a lot of uh, this girls is did. Dad. Alfie, do you guys know Alfie? Uh, I don't know if you've met him, no. but um, yeah, he uh, he he uh, sort of went to South Africa to avoid cons- conscription and for Vietnam, travelled around, yep, got in trouble, came home, yep, packed everything up and moved up to a farm on the mid north coast, and uh, mm. that's what he's been he's been there ever since, growing his own food and yeah. living his own life and not leaving a mark on anyone and and really just in in pretty cosmic synergy with the the universe and. You know, yeah, well, all he wanted to do was surf and have a healthy life, and he's yeah. pretty much nailed well, it. Well, so. Albie's still doing that. Albie Falzon. Oh, yeah, Albie's just the down the road. Property. I see him all the time. But yeah, yeah. should see him with his slick back hair and his tasseled leather jacket <laughs> and his speed dealers on. Just Yeah, yeah. He's a, he's a dapper-looking dressing guy. White shirt guy. tucked into his <laughs> jeans. He looks unbelievable, Smithy. 
Yeah. yeah, and I guess the question for young people now too is like, can they do that? They um, can. Um, Jake Vincent and his uh, girl Kate have just moved to Yungai Creek, which is just near Albi. Okay. And, and there, there is a total movement of almost like a second country soul thing going on yeah. where just kids have just had enough of being told what to do and where to do it and all these rules because – you know, it's insidious, but they just creep up on you. You don't even see them coming. Yeah, and all yeah. of a sudden you, you're living in these places where you can't even park and <laughs> you can't, you know, simple things that you feel like you should be able to do, you can't do. And they're just, they're just getting their little chunk of land and yeah, no, that's good. getting their veggie gardens and learning the ways of the world and, and the, how it all works. And yeah. they're doing an amazing job. Like it's just to, watching it happen. They're going a little bit further down the coast, aren't they? Because the A little bit they further. They're not pat- doing it in Byron because, I yeah, mean, yeah, yeah. good the Patagonia film that – there was that last year. There was that film about the the young surfer guy who went from Alaska down to Patagonia, mm. and the, and he's moved down to Bellingen, and the you know with the family yeah. members, and they're doing the same thing. And I thought, well, that is great. There's yeah. there's little chunks around yeah. if you if you want to find them for sure. But maybe uh, I reckon we wrap it. But yeah. uh, before we do, I just. I just want to get one surf story from you, Rusty, if that's okay. Uh, we haven't really dived into the water too much, but you've got a photo over here on the wall. Uh, <laughs> can you describe it, Smithy? The one with Tiger over there? Mate, uh, Tiger has got the knife in on his red. Tiger Espera. Tiger yeah, Espera. He's and so you. steep and deep yeah, on that that's thing. The bait, right? it's, it's reminiscent of uh, Flea. Flea's yeah, pin drop, except that this guy's knifed it uh, where Flea pin dropped. Leroy Granis took that Leroy picture. Leroy Granis photo and it's, it's Wyoming and, uh, Bay and it yeah, is massive, It's bro. so big and People always say to me, how come you took off in front of Tiger? And I said, oh, I have a bit of a story. Tiger and I were paddling and there was big sets coming and we just saw this big wave and Tiger, and Tiger said, oh, we better take off on this one together because the one... And back of it's gonna beget us. <laughs> so that's why. So that's why. So that's a that's a took, full blind conscious I, you know, sharing. And I didn't know that until about fifteen years ago, when we went. At, there was a Greg Knoll reunion in Bali, and uh, Tiger was there, and Tiger was uh, by then uh, elderly uh, shaman, and he had these uh, a necklace with these bones of his family on his neck. He his ancestors. Like ancestors' bones. So yeah, because that so, photo is sixty-two. That's not sixty-two. Yeah, yeah. And there it is, is it's twenty, massive. twenty to thirty foot. Easy. It's it's twenty-five. It, they, they say so yeah, big so and consequential. The Hawaiians say That's they don't say thirty. They say twenty plus. Yeah, yeah. yeah I didn't want to put a foot wrong. Yeah, there. it's very hard <laughs> to kind of get the the, the metrics right but in Hawaii. It's beautiful to uh, end the podcast, you know, with yeah, that yeah. moment, mate. Because uh, I've got oh, one one oh, request, on, and I, I was I I might just. I might just salute the spirit, beautiful spirituality of, uh, of Tiger. Yeah. I love that, man. And, and one request, I said I wouldn't leave here without getting a Mickey Dora story. I know you were a contemporary of the man. Uh, a, Mickey? A, yeah, a memorable surf trip with Dakat. Yeah, okay. Um, actually, it was quite interesting because that same year, uh, um, <clears throat> Mickey and I were staying with Grant Roloff. Can't roll off a film, film maker made a movie, and a guy named Napoleon was doing a, a film um, called Ride the Ride the Wild Surf, isn't it? Anyhow, and, yeah. mm. and um, Mickey and I were staying at the North Shore uh, with Grant, and um, and they were on Mickey's trip because they said um, 
he uh, was getting a bit sort of jowly, and so they wanted him to be a little bit thinner. So, so Mickey says, always conspiracy, says, they're trying to starve me. <laughs> yeah, like they're trying to starve me. So I'd sneak him peanut butter and uh, jelly and banana uh, bread into the room so that I could, we could feed Mickey. So Mickey is an older guy, right? Yeah. So he was just my uh, idol. You know, I would anything that he'd want, I'd, I'd you know, I'd, I'd do. So, so we were always good, good friends over, over many years, yeah. Magic, mate. Well, thanks so much for your time. It's a beautiful man. And your thanks, contribution Trisha. to uh, and everything. Thanks for coming around. It's it been, been wonderful fun. to sit here and, uh, yeah, just have a, a awesome conversation with you guys. And like I said, we'll put the books up and uh, we look forward to seeing you out in the water. Oh, well, thanks. What a nice team that you brought today. It was nice, what a nice surprise to, to have you all here. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Oh.